Hi, this is Mike McGinn, and welcome to You, Me, Us, Now. So, my story, I was uh, an activist, I rode a bike, I cared about the environment, I fought for sidewalks in, the, in my neighborhood, and, you know, one thing led to another, and I, I ran for mayor. In fact, when I ran for mayor, I had a, a sticker um, that all of my campaign folks put out that said, Mike Bikes, and there was a picture of me in my bike helmet, and it turned out to be a pretty good thing. Um, for running for office. But then I, when I got into office, all of a sudden I was like in the middle of what came to be called the war on cars. And I, I even remember the first time I, I heard it. I, a, a TV reporter came up to me, put a, put a camera in front of me and said, people are saying there's a war on cars. What do you think, Mayor McGinn? And I went, that's ridiculous. And that was, of course, the clip that played in the news that night. And for a lot of people, it wasn't ridiculous at all. They didn't think it was ridiculous at all because driving's hard, and as the city was growing, driving was getting harder, and it sure felt like somebody was, was out to get them. So then I picked up the paper the other day, and in the local Seattle Times, uh, there was an article by a, an author named Briar Dudley. He's the tech reporter, and he had the proof. He had just read the new comprehensive plan for the city of Seattle, and it was the 20-year plan, and right there, Deep in the appendix was an acknowledgement by the city of Seattle that it was trying to reduce the number of cars on the road and have more people use walking, biking, and transit. Aha, he said. He waved the, the incriminating document. There is a war on cars. I told you. I saw the article. I, I just like put it down. I didn't even want to read it. I had so many memories of, of what it was like as mayor dealing with all of that. Uh, but my editor at Crosscut asked me to uh, write something in rebuttal. So I read it carefully. I wrote something. I printed it. A lot of people have been picking it up and reading it, which is great. But my central point in the article was that it's not about the cars, folks. Like, it's besides the point. People are talking about safety. People are talking about the economic life of the city, the social life of the city, global warming. There's all sorts of things that are going on that just don't have anything to do with the cars. And then my spirits lifted a little bit after I wrote this because I realized that my interview this week was going to be with Clarence Eckerson of Street Films. I don't know <laughs> if you have ever turned on and watched Clarence uh, Clarence's films at Street Films, but it's the exact opposite of the dreariness and the angst and the conflict of the war on cars. I think the first video I saw of his was he made a video in Bogota, Colombia, about their ciclovia, which is a day where, where they just open up the streets for biking, and everybody's biking, and it's like the most joyful thing. And somehow or another, we forget about all the joy we can have in a place if we do the right things instead of all the anger and, and the conflict. Uh, with that, my opening song, you're wondering... How did we end up listening to that on my show, if you've been listening? That was part of the soundtrack to Breaking Away, uh, which was also about the joy of cycling and, and what it meant to, to a young person in his community. It's a great movie. Clarence, welcome to the show. That was a long intro. Sorry. No, thank you. I was actually enraptured. <laughs> Thanks for saying that. I want you For to a minute, I forgot I was going to have to say anything. <laughs> well, tell me about the film I just, I just mentioned to you, because it really had a huge impact on me when I saw it. I saw that, and it just changed my views on cycling and, and, and its role in a city. 
and, and I was a cyclist, and I was promoting cycling, but it just really expanded my mind. Tell me about that video. Tell me about what you do for street films. Tell me about some of your other videos. Well, street films is kind of an online video resource that we put together uh, for free, uh, and we make films about bicycling, walking, transit, uh, green issues. We just try to inspire the world to change their cities for the better, to make them more livable, to make them more people-friendly. I am one of, well, I am now the only filmmaker there. For a while, I was one of a couple of people working. And we have made well over 700 films in the last 10 years. And these films have tried to introduce new concepts to, you know, the United States and the rest of the world. And back when we decided to do the film in Bogota in 2007, we were trying to look for a way to shake things up. And we decided, you know, here down, down here in Bogota, they have... Every Sunday, they shut down, I believe it's close to 80 or 90 kilometers of streets. Uh, every Sunday, every holiday, as a matter of fact. What happens after that is just a beautiful thing. Seeing people having picnics in the middle of highways, children and their families, and dads and moms riding bikes, people doing ballet in the street, dancing, doing uh, yoga. And, you know, back in 2007, this kind of concept was a little bit foreign to... Americans. There were a few cities like San Francisco, Portland, uh, Baltimore, I believe, where they were trying to appeal to have these kind of events. But they only would show photos at uh, meetings with important people at the transportation departments or their mayors. So we were like, let's make this film. And we made this film and suddenly it just exploded. I'm not saying we were the initial instigators that got this going in all these cities, but we helped put fuel on that fire and show and enlighten people that it was a fun, great event. And in fact, the best story we have about it is that the San Francisco Bike Coalition was pushing for this for months and months and months with their mayor, Gavin Newsom. And they had had many, many meetings. And at the end of every meeting, it was said, well, let's, let's continue looking at this and then come on back and we'll decide the next time. And they just walked in and said, Mayor, we have a film. Mayor, the mayor and his staff, we have a film we want to show you. And it was our film on Cyclopia. And it got approved. Yeah, it makes all the difference. You know, we actually here in Seattle were also inspired. And I, my predecessor, Greg Nichols, and the folks at SDOT you know, we didn't quite reach the levels of Bogota. But they opened up a number of different streets to everybody and made it a big deal um, in different neighborhoods. And then in the following years, they made the blocks that were open even longer and longer. And it was funny because the first year that they did it, you know, they came out and they were towing cars away that were parked there that shouldn't be parked there. There was all sorts of angry stuff from the people in the neighborhoods whose cars were towed. And it was, you know, the TV stations were like, it's the war on cars. And again, and, and when it starts, it's like a very controversial thing. But once you do it for five or six years, which has been done in Seattle, they, we've continued doing it. If you went to a neighborhood and said, you know, that one day a year where we close the main street in your neighborhood for like 20 or 30 blocks, we're not going to do that anymore. You'd get the outrage in the other direction. It would be the government coming in to, you know, ruin your neighborhood by, by not respecting <laughs> the new tradition. So it really is amazing how much people, people enjoy it when they, when they get to do it. I, I think it's pretty interesting. We were talking the other day. I mean, it's not like you were a world traveler before you started making these films, as I understand it, right? I mean, no. No. You... I had barely 
been outside of New York. I had a few vacations, uh, but as of early 2000, I had probably been on a plane twice. You remind me of me when I was growing up. When I went off to college, I grew up on Long Island, and I didn't go very many places as a kid. And there I was in college, and I think I could honestly say to people, I'd never been west of 10th Avenue in Manhattan. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I think you still get that. And so I lived in Brooklyn, and I met a guy who said he hadn't been into Manhattan in five years. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I went into Manhattan, you know, periodically, and I, I, may, I was exaggerating. Like, I think we took a school trip to Philadelphia or something like that. But no, I never got out of the neighborhood. And uh, you grew up, you were telling me, in Goshen, New York, which is not so close to New York City. Yeah, it's about an hour, hour and a half drive, depending on traffic, north. Yeah. This is what's interesting. When you got to New York City, though, you were you were a bike advocate, right? Or you turned into a bike advocate. Tell me about how that happened. Well, it's kind of interesting because when I lived in Goshen, I was the only person. I don't have a driver's license still, and I'm about to turn 50. And I never had a driver's license. So I learned to walk and bike places in my hometown. Went to school in Albany, SUNY Albany, State University of Albany. And same thing there. I used buses, a lot of walking and biking, get around. So when I came to New York, it was kind of funny. I was ready, kind of prepped in that mode. To That's how you get around uh, if you don't have a car. So, you know, that, that was kind of funny that uh, here's this person that wasn't born in the city. And I had only visited maybe two or three times on field trips in college and in high school because my mom didn't really want me to go to New York City. Yeah, <laughs> that's no, it's scary. People yeah, are. it's dangerous there. Yeah, totally. And, you know, to some extent, it was a lot more dangerous, you know, the late 80s, early 90s. I came here fully prepared on how to get around a major city because I just did what I needed to do to get wherever it was. I actually remember one of the reasons I went into New York City when I was a kid was when I was 14 years old, it was to get a bicycle. I got an Atala 10-speed, and that was 1974. It was a fancy Italian bike, or so I thought. I've now looked it up. I thought I, like I had some type of classic vintage bike. It turns out it wasn't so great, according to the, <laughs> to the bike nerds. But I... I rode it to high school, you know, which was three miles away. I took the bus. After, after I uh, went to college, I didn't have a car in college. And after college, I was in D.C. for a few years. And it wasn't until I moved to Oregon that I bought a car. And I moved to Eugene. And I had, I had no choice then. Um, but I went years and years, you know, without it. And mainly because it was just a better way to get around and save money. And it, it took me another 15 or 20 years really before I got back to cycling again on a regular basis, which is, you know, what I do now still. We oftentimes think of biking as this elite thing, but it was just, it, it wasn't very elite for me at the time I was doing it. It was just, it was just the way to, to do stuff. It was a way to get places. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, we're going back to, before we had apps when we could tell when a train or a bus was showing up and you had kind of full control of your schedule. You yeah, know, you the could go freedom. You needed to. You had freedom. Uh, you got exercise. And of course, as you probably experienced, you were also a weirdo because you rode a bicycle. Yes. Yeah, definitely a weirdo for riding a bicycle. There's no question about it. So you started doing a cable TV show. Yeah, I got to New York. Um, I was a volunteer for Transportation Alternatives, which is a big bicycle advocacy organization. And I did their big TA Century, their 100-mile ride around the five boroughs, four boroughs. 
And I just was just totally enlightened and inspired and excited seeing all these little greenways here and there, you know, way out in the outskirts of Queens or in the Bronx or along the waterfront in Brooklyn. So me and a couple friends of ours got together. We started this uh, cable access show called Bike TV. And it was all about basically me bringing my camera wherever we'd bike that weekend. If we were going to the Rockaways, <laughs> we'd show you how you get there. And, you know, that there's this wonderful beach and nobody's out here. So it was kind of like trying to show people that were watching cable access that the bike was a good tool to use to uh, for transportation. But also you can have a lot of fun and make a lot of friends and, you know, have a really also cheap ex existence to entertain yourself. A lot of people don't know about cable, cable access TV. You know, the years are passing. And, and sure. I think it's been replaced by things like YouTube and I don't know, does, is cable access still in New York even? Actually, I have a really funny story. Uh, Bike TV, even though I stopped doing it right around 2005, there was one of the guys that was with us that continued to submit shows. So I'm still on in Brooklyn at 10.30 every Friday <laughs> night. And every once in a while, I get a tweet from a friend like, Hey, Clarence, I just saw you 12 years ago <laughs> riding here, there, everywhere, or having a birthday party in Prospect Park with a whole bunch of friends. So, um, you know, cable access is kind of this thing that's sort of died uh, because YouTube came around in 2005. Vimeo, I think, was 2009. So you don't need to have this kind of public airwaves anymore. But it still exists and there's still programs running. Um, so I have, I have an admission to make. This is not the first time I've spoken to Clarence. Clarence came out to Seattle after I was elected mayor. And there is a street film about me as the new mayor. Clarence Clarence came that's, up. That's a lot of fun. That was a good, <laughs> good day. That was an awesome day. Clarence, Clarence came up to Greenwood at some ungodly early hour. And I was really wondering about how you were going to make the movie. And you, <laughs> you, you just had this camera slung around your shoulder. It was just dangling off you. And you would, were filming as we biked. You were just, you know, on it the whole way. It was really pretty amazing then to see the final product. Yeah, I mean, I think that throughout my whole life I've kind of been, if I only have myself to rely on, then I know what I'm doing. It may not come out perfectly, but, you know, I don't need a three-person camera crew with somebody with doing sound and all that. And I also kind of just kind of exist in the moment. So I kind of have a good idea of what I want to do. But I don't plan it out. I didn't. We didn't have a pre-call, you and I, where, oh, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, we're going to talk about this. I just kind of showed up at your house. Your family was having breakfast. Did we feed you? Out. Did we feed you, Clarence? You did. You gave me a smoothie, I think. Your wife gave me a smoothie. Oh, that's right. <laughs> and your I was, kids were there. Your we, kids were there. I, I was and on the, we just went out to your, uh, your uh, garage and looked at your Mike's bike stickers and a whole bunch of, whole bunch of other stuff. <laughs> and then we started riding to work. And, you know, I'm videotaping this, you and that, riding and getting some commentary. Then, of course, we keep running into people that you knew. That's And that was just so charming for the video. That just made such a good part of the video be so wonderful. Well, that's what's so much fun about biking, too. That's the other thing people don't recognize. You know, when you get into the car and commute, and I've done a lot of car commuting in my years, so I know what I'm talking about here. You know, you, you get isolated from everything now. and But when you're on a bike, the number of people that want to talk to me, even before I was mayor, but it, it went up after I was mayor. But 
even so, you know, you have that chance even just for that, hey, how you doing wave as you go by, which is, sure, yeah, it feels great when you do did, it. Did you ever get a lot of earful also for people? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sometimes people would drive up next to me and just start talking to me. I would get that. I would always tense up because I didn't know what was going to happen as the car rolled up next to me at the stoplight and the window rolled <laughs> down, right? It could go either way. You just never sure. knew. And, you know, but probably the majority of the time it was like, um, hey, great to see you out here. You know, thanks for what you're doing. I mean, people are generally nice, more nice than they are mean or more likely to talk when they're nice than when they're mean. But every once yeah. in a while, somebody would say, hey, man, I got to talk to you. And it might have nothing to do with biking. It might have it with any topic in the city. There was even one time, this is really funny. I, every once in a while I would leave the house and you know, my mind was in a million different places every morning as I'm leaving the house. I'd read my briefing papers. I'm ready to go. I'm thinking about my day. And I'd be like, you know, 10 or 15 blocks from my house. And all of a sudden I realized I didn't have my helmet. I just like left. And you know, I maybe had a baseball cap on my head. So I had something on my head, but I wasn't, just was absent-minded. So one day, this car pulls up to me, and the window rolls down. There, are these you know two uh, women in the in the front seat, you know, relatively young compared to me, and and they look at me and they go, "Mayor McGinn, where's your helmet?" And I was like, "Oh no, <laughs> you know, there's going to be a there's going to be a Facebook posting, et cetera, et cetera. Mayor McGinn violates the law, won't wear a helmet, or something like that." Because um, I was always like aware of this. And then they introduced themselves and they said, we know you, we work over at King County in the budget office. We've met, remember? And I went, yeah, yeah. And they said, we have an extra helmet here, take it. <laughs> and they gave me a helmet <laughs> out the window. So, wow. yeah, so that was nice. They, they saved me some, from some uh, bad press that day if somebody had taken a photo of me. Um, well, speaking of some bad press, remember after we did the video, there was one of the local weekly websites said that we were followed by your black cards, your mayoral <laughs> protection the whole way. And I can testify that there was nobody near us. I don't know. I mean, unless they were invisible, there were no security detail following us. This was a big issue for me for four years. So I'm recording here at Cairo radio and, and they offered to help me do these podcasts and, and I'm walking one day and I'm talking to Brandy Cruz, a reporter here who's, you know, since moved on to a TV station, a great reporter. And she turns to me and says, go on. I want you to be honest with me. Did you really bike everywhere or did, or were you driven places and just bike at the end? And I'm like, Brandy, really? <laughs> you know? And uh, so I think I convinced her, but I, I did drive, you know, I did have a car and a driver. They did. Uh, take me places because in the course of my day, it was not always feasible to bike everywhere. So sure, that was impossible. You're very important. You're a mayor. Oh, it was crazy. But I really insisted on biking in first thing in the morning. You know, if, if my first event of the day was at City Hall, 45 minute bike ride, gave me time to think, and got my exercise in, I probably biked home about half the time. But there were times I would bike somewhere, you know, do an event, and then the car would scoop me up. Um, and take me somewhere. So that's how that crazy rumor started. Because people would see that. They'd see me putting my bike on the car. There was so much craziness around the bike. But that was the other thing. They wanted to follow me. They wanted to follow me around. And I told them, no, that's, that's crazy. That, like, kinda, that just defeats the whole purpose 
Um, I yeah. think my security guy like spoke to the SDOT guys. I think he had all of the SDOT traffic cameras that on my route, like linked up to his computer. <laughs> so, so he probably saw it the day that we were filming. <laughs> yeah, so he was... Crazy guy with the camera shoving it in the mayor's face. Should I get out there and stop him? <laughs> so they did really, they did really care about trying to keep track of me. But thank you for affirming that I did not have a black card. But everybody believed it. Everybody believed that. Oh, yeah. I remember the discussion board. I, I pretended to be somebody else, <laughs> and I was like, I've seen the mayor bike places, and you know, I've never seen any black cars trailing two blocks behind. Knowing that, you know, I could actually speak from experience from my one. Right, right. But it was amazing how so many people on that site were just chiming, oh, yeah, they all follow him around. He puts his bike in the back of vans. It goes around the corner and pops on the bike and comes around two blocks. (laughs) and Everybody thinks he rode there. That's amazing how people will just lie. Like, they lie. Let's just say it. They're not misinformed. They lie. Well, there's such, that's one of the things I discovered when you're in office. You know, I, I came into office being this like totally, you know, passionate advocate for, you know, neighbor, nobody questioned my motivation when I was a neighborhood and environmental advocate. But as soon as you become elected, you're totally suspect. Your, your motivations must be bad and you must be not telling the truth. And it took me, it actually took me a little while to kind of just accept that's the way it was. Like you couldn't protest to people Oh come on, you know I'm I'm still the same person. It was no use being defensive about it. That's just what that's just how people thought. So yeah. it was well, that- you know and even even in New York, you know Mayor Bloomberg almost every single day of his administration rode the subway into work, but he would get a lot of crap because the security detail would try to follow above ground oh. just in case there was a problem, and that right. really is true. They did follow him, but I'm like you know the guy is the mayor of the free world kind of give him some slack and the newspapers would just grill him to death and make fun of the fact that he has these cars with him not even in it and i'm like the guy is taking the subway he's a <laughs> mayor taking the subway he at least gets some taste of right. what the general public goes through every day how can you even think that's negative even if they're wasting gas in black suburbans above them I, I just never got that. I, I, I tweeted this once, and this one got retweeted a bunch. You know, if the people that made decisions about transit funding had to take the bus every day, our bus oh, system would yeah. be so much better. It's we just... would have bus rapid transit lines in every city that looked like <laughs> a subway or a metro. We would. We would. It's it's, But they don't, and so they get stuck be, you know, with the view behind their windshield um, of how the world works. They just have no clue. I had a big argument with my security guys actually about even whether this was, this was, what was always fascinating was people would ask me, is security going to let you ride your bike? And I was like, well, they, they actually work for me. <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> the police chief reports to me, they report to the police chief. I, I don't think you could make me. And uh, the first night that came up was we were holding, it was after the election before I took office and we were holding kind of a volunteer thank you party up on Capitol Hill, which is about a 30, 40 minute bike ride from my house. And my wife came up there with me and I brought the bike in the minivan and I'm taking the bike out of the minivan and our security guys are meeting me and they're both looking at the bike. 
and and one of them is like, uh, Mayor, uh, what's with the bicycle? Um, uh, are you going to bike home? And I'm like, yeah, I'm planning to. And he's, uh, it's very unsafe. It's very unsafe. It's nighttime. Do you have lights? I'm just like, look, I've been riding at night a lot. I'm really just fine. He said, I'm just very, very concerned about you and your health. I'm very concerned about your safety here, and, and you really need to be in the car. And we kind of went back and forth, and then I finally pulled out an argument that I'd learned from another biker. And I said to him, I know you guys are worried that about my health out on the street, that somebody's going to hit me. I'm worried about all the time on the couch. What, what is that going to do to my health? I said to him. I know, I know. Yeah, I think about that all the time. And the- I, just, I just went to a birthday party yesterday. And I rode the 25 miles round trip to it because I haven't been able to get as much exercise because I have a newborn son. Yeah. So I'm always thinking, how do I fit exercise into my schedule? Yeah. And it's true. I mean, if you looked at the health statistics, I'm probably more likely to die young or early. I can't say young anymore, but to die early (laughs) as a result of illnesses associated with inactivity than I am to be hit by somebody. And if more people would adopt that attitude, our streets would be even safer and, and our cities would be even healthier. So, yeah. And I think, you know, also a lot of people forget there's a certain anonymity about bicycling. Even if you're a famous person, if you are wearing a helmet, you're harder to see if you're wearing sunglasses or glasses. But even if you're not, even if you're just out there exposed to the open, you know, people like Leonardo DiCaprio are riding around New York City on city bikes. And every once in a while, you see a uh, uh, paparazzi photo of him. But I'll bet you he bikes past blocks of people that don't recognize him. Well, part part of it is people can't believe it. People just can't believe it, right? Because that's not how famous people move around. They're supposed to be in a vehicle with an entourage. It's really funny how people react to the biking. I mean, I've got like lots of different stories about how people react. Um, one time I was stopped at a red light in downtown on my way to work and this woman passed in front of me and she looked at me, recognized me, kept walking and then turned back at me and just said, I don't even own a bike. Like she was just angry at me. <laughs> right? You had, had to register that just to you, May, <laughs> that she doesn't own a bike and then she just kept going? Yeah, because... because <laughs> Because I supported biking and I rode a bike and a lot of people thought that, you know, they should bike too. Like I was like trying to shame them somehow through that. They really reacted negatively to that. And that was like, I mean, really, people can get around the way they want to get around. I never tried to do that to anybody ever, you know. And people would come up to me and, you know, they'd see I'd bike somewhere and they'd start talking to me with the – Oh, I would have rode today, but, and I'm like, Hey, you know, whatever you, you have to get around. Everybody's got to get around. I would say. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, transportation is all about options and bicycling is a really good one for some people. Yeah. Some people it's not. Yeah. So I, uh, I didn't want to, but engage. you want to try to make it as attractive and easy to do for people that do want to do it. And maybe it'll encourage that next 10% of the population to do it. And then if we could do that, we're talking about having a very successful, more healthy, less polluted, fun city. It's, that's really true. And shame doesn't work. Trying to guilt people into doing the right thing. I think we've all discovered this. It's a, you can occasionally get somebody to do a little bit of something once in a while, but it's not a good long-term strategy for getting people to do stuff. They just, they just get resentful over, over, yeah. over time. So, and in a way, it's you know, getting back to the, how we were talking about the war on cars at the beginning. 
a lot of people just don't understand that bicyclists are just trying to get some safe space. We're not looking for it on every single street. It would be wonderful, but we know that's not going to happen. But we're trying to encourage more people that aren't that brave spandex crowd to just jump on a bike, to use bike share. And I think that if people would go to a place like Copenhagen and see, hey, you know, 40%, 40 plus percent of people are on bicycle. But, you know, there's still an awful lot of cars in Copenhagen. If we could instantly make every city in the United States like Copenhagen, there's still going to be a lot of cars. Yeah, it's that dichotomy. People want to make it one way or the other. And I was trying to make that point in the rebuttal article I wrote to the Seattle Times article was uh, at, at the end of the day, it's, it's actually not even about bikes versus cars versus transit versus walking. It's really about the place that you're in because the streets are just in service to the community. It's about the community at the end of the day. And, you know, that means that there's going to be a lot of different ways streets are going to be used, including things like sidewalk, sidewalk cafes and retail businesses and festivals and parades. The more different uses you have on your street, the more likely you are you know, to have a successful place. That's what you're looking at when you do that. And I think, in a way, the Ciclovia movement has kind of made people reorient themselves to what is possible on a street because they get out there with their family and they're doing all this fun stuff and they remember that, even if your city only does it a few times per year. And I think that's Ciclovia really has had a tremendous effect on creating many activists in communities to say, maybe we should re-examine all the uses that can happen on a street and we shouldn't always program our streets to having as maximum output of cars on it because maybe this street is better having a protected bike lane in New York City now. I mean, I just rode to work on Thursday and Friday or Wednesday and Thursday this week, and I just put up a couple of films on the tremendous number of people riding bikes. It's, it's like almost starting to get too crowded on some streets at rush hour. It's fascinating to see that. And I occasionally do a little thing when I'm pulled up at a light on a popular commuting route, popular bike commuting route, which might also be a popular driving route, too, because that's, you know, that that is what yes. major streets are coming out of the downtown core. And I'll do a little thing of trying to count the number of cars at the intersection and trying to count the number of bicycles. And sometimes there's more people on bicycle waiting for that light than there are cars, which is pretty fascinating. Yeah. I mean, that's the same thing here now. I mean, you can see people just streaming off the bridges in the morning, especially on a really nice day, easily outnumber the number of cars in at least one lane coming off the bridge. You know, it's it's fascinating that it happened so quickly when it finally started, because even five years ago, it wasn't this these kind of numbers. I mean, you see people all the time on Twitter under the hashtag BikeNYC. They'll just stop and they'll do a 20-second little video of how many people are streaming off the Brooklyn Bridge or the Manhattan Bridge or the Queensborough Bridge or the, the, the Williamsburg Bridge. And it's just like, look at how many people are on bikes. It's, it's really cool to see that there's probably people that weren't even activists or advocates or even know all the work that went in behind the scenes over the last 10, 15 years for there to be all this great bike infrastructure for them to bike on. Now they're like, wow, look at this. I'm a part of this awesome community. And we're all kinds of people. 
You know, you, you freeze frame those videos, you see mom and you see every race and ethnicity, you see young and old. Um, we don't have too many children solo riders yet, but we do have more and more parents with their kids on the back of their bike. That's a big deal out in my neighborhood of, of Greenwood. When we have a, a cargo bike uh, a guy out here, Davey Oil at GNO Cycle Ray, and I'm seeing more of that too. You know, what's really fascinating to me, there's so many different things that are fascinating to me, but you didn't like, you weren't growing up or heading to New York City thinking, I'm going to become a filmmaker or I'm going to become a biking advocate. It just kind of happened, is my understanding. Yeah. Yeah. I've actually been asked in the last couple of weeks, it's funny, uh, a number of people are like, how did you choose your career track? And I'm like, it kind of chose me based upon just all the things that I was interested in. I was always interested in film. I wrote movie reviews for my college newspaper. I was always pretty good with a video camera. I taped friends' weddings and things like that. I also, you know, love bicycling. And one day, I'll never forget this. There was an article in the New York Times in 1997 where there's this horrible intersection by Lincoln Center in, in Manhattan. And they had this really good collection of quotes and people, the local council person, transportation alternatives, people on the street just talking about what a nightmare the street is to cross. And X amount of people had been hurt or killed in the last five, ten years. And the article was great. And they only had one photo. And it was like this completely non-threatening like photo of like just a few people waiting across the street. And it just got me very angry. I was like, this article isn't going to change anybody's minds with this visual. So that's when we started making Bike TV, which, by the way, Bike TV was really probably half the time about transit and walking. Yeah. <laughs> just because I love doing that stuff. And I just came to New York and just kind of started merging my interest with biking and walking. I had no transportation background. I had no degrees in college and urban planning. I had no film degrees. I just kind of bought my own equipment because I thought it was cheaper than trying to go to classes. And I just learned it myself and started putting together Bike TV, which eventually morphed into making street films. You know, part of the reason I do this show is because I want people to listen who are listening to, you know, get inspired and maybe take action themselves. And so hearing your story is really so incredible because there's so many people trying to figure out you know, how to make an impact in the world and how to do something great and, you know, going to school for it, like you were saying, or, you know, getting deeply involved in various organizations and trying to make them work the right way. And I just really love the do-it-yourself aspect of what you did. And, you, you know, you have probably had, in terms of influence on bicycling in the USA, about as great an impact as anybody in the country. I, maybe I'm being grandiose here, Clarence, but seriously, the number of <laughs> no, people... No, be grandiose. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, I mean, I just know what it meant for me to see those films. I know so many other people have seen those films. And and if you're listening and you haven't ever gone to street films, you know, just go find the best ones. They're pretty easy to find. they got tons of views. And it really just opens your mind up in a way that, you know, some thickly data-written piece of white paper just isn't going to do it. Clarence, it's just been an unbelievable pleasure to have you on the show. And again, the fact that I actually am in a street film, uh, you know, 
that that was pretty that was pretty much it for me. I you know I, I made it. I made it. <laughs> I, I've actually had people. I just did a film in Houston. One guy wrote, "Now I can cross off my bucket list." <laughs> so I chose a song at the front end, and you get to choose a song at the end. And I believe you you said, "And we danced by the Hooters." So yes, I'm gonna I'm the dub in that song. As you and but I want to hear you tell me why you picked it. I've always loved this song since 1985 when it debuted. It's just full of a lot of energy. Always makes me feel happy, makes me smile, and it's a very totally innocent song and positive. And anytime I'm kind of a little bit down, I just turn it on, and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> 